This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts. Welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, everyone. How are you doing, Monica? Ready to keep talking Skyfall? We're so ready for round two. It's not even funny. Okay. I'm itching. I, my skin is itching. I have to keep on talking about this. Three critics go in, <laughs> one walk out. <laughs> to anyone who didn't listen to part one of our Skyfall discussion, uh, apologies for the delay in releasing a new episode. Hurricane Sandy threw off our recording schedule a little bit, uh, but we will still be releasing an episode on Cloud Atlas at some point in the future. But uh, for now, this is part two of episode number 24 of Cinema Fix focused on the movie Skyfall. So if you're looking for part one, you're listening to the wrong file. Stop listening to this file. Go listen to the other one. If this is your first time listening to Cinema Fix, you should know that this is the show on Film Geek Radio devoted to discussion of mainstream blockbuster films. And each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a general spoiler-free discussion. And the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film, complete with spoilers. And it's designed to be listened to after you've heard part one, or at least after you've seen the film. Again, this is part two, so if you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening now and go check out part one of our episode on Skyfall. This is the latest film in the James Bond franchise, and uh, in case you missed it earlier, we're very privileged to have a special guest joining us today. He is a contributor to the film channel of Crave Online, where he writes the series project, in which he watches and reflects on each installment of several film series. He's written about all of the Bond films, and he's currently covering the Twilight Saga. Whitney Seibold, how are you doing? Aside from having to watch the Twilight Saga, I'm all right. <laughs> all right. Well, um, we're not going to take any time to talk about what Skyfall is about. We're assuming you've seen the movie, but before we really start to analyze the film, here's another clip. I may have a shot. It's not clean. Repeat, I do not have a clean shot. All right, guys, let's really dive in to Skyfall. Whitney, I want to start with you because I know that, like me, you've seen all of the Bond films, all 25 or 26 of them. Uh, to, to be fair, I have not yet seen the original TV movie from 1954. That's the only one I haven't seen as well. But that, yeah. that, that that's the one in which Bond is American, so I don't think that counts. <laughs> oh. It is a non-canonical non Bond movie, but Peter Lorre plays the bad guy, so I think it should count. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Let me ask you, Whitney, how do you think Skyfall stacks up in the whole Bond series? How does it compare to all the others? Uh, Skyfall is actually up there, I'd say. Um, it's, it's certainly in the top ten, uh, just for sheer virtue of just its awesome action, its awesome photography, 
and uh, and its sort of feeling of James Bondedness, J- James Bondage, if you will. Uh, <laughs> that was a good one. You were waiting on that one. You were saving it. If you, like me, have watched like all of the James Bond movies, especially if you've watched them in chronological order, you'll notice a pattern emerging. You know, we started off with James Bond. He kind of got his footing, you know, through Doctor No, through From Russia with Love, and through and and finally hit his stride with Goldfinger. And Goldfinger is sort of like the the model James Bond movie. And we followed that pattern for so long that people started to get a little bored. And uh, every maybe five or six films, the series tries to do something new. They either get a new actor, or they introduce some sort of new element. They they try to keep the character a little bit topical, but change him in some way. You know, like with, with Timothy Dalton, they tried to make him a little bit dark. Um, you know, right. they tried to tried to make him a bit more romantic also with Timothy Dalton to make him less of a womanizer. Didn't quite work. They switched gears back and we got back to James Bond. And I feel like with the 2006 Casino Royale, that was one of those steps along the way. And so they, they tried to make a new James Bond. And I feel that with Skyfall, it's, it's like Casino Royale and then Quantum of Solace, which was essentially just an adjunct to Casino Royale. It didn't even really count as a whole movie in my mind. Uh, it seems like they're finally trying to you know, they got it out of their system. The darkness is over with. Now we can finally get back to the business of being James Bond. We, we Now we have all of those elements back in play. Now we have a Miss Moneypenny. We have a new M. We have, you know, the gadgets are back. The wit is kind of creeping back into it. And James Bond is a lot less tortured this time around. So I have a feeling for the next one, it'll be just a, another regular James Bond film like we've all expected, and I'm glad to welcome it back because that's the James Bond that I've always liked. Well, I disagree with you. <laughs> it's just that I, I, I'm not sure I really want that old style of James Bond back. Well, but we're, but we're going to get it no matter what, you see. Uh, I hope not. We, we will see. If this continues with the pattern, the 2006 Casino Royale was the hiccup. It was the exception. It's not a new rule. It's not a new paradigm. We're going to move back to James Bond at some point. I fully disagree with, with your assessment of Casino Royale and what that represents. I think what you're talking about when, when you mention the, the sort of switch up that happens every five or six films in the Bond series, I think that's not fully intentional. I think that mainly had to do with certain rights issues at times and whether or not they could get certain actors to return. I have to say, we, we, we can get into this, and I'm, I'm sure we will. Pre-Casino Royale, as someone who's recently watched all the Bond films in chronological order, I really don't think there's any sort of Bond formula or Bond canon or continuity, really. And what Casino... Uh, okay, okay, okay. You, you don't think there's a Bond formula? There most certainly is. There's, okay, there's a formula that we all tend to think of when we think uh-huh. of James Bond, but that is not always the case in Bond films. That's fine, but that's what audiences always go to when they go to a James Bond film. It's like if you go to a Jason Bourne film, you're expecting this, this, and this. It's the same thing with Bond. Bond was the original Bourne. Well, well, here's the thing. Casino Royale, to me, represents a real turning point. I almost feel like it's a completely different series of films. I feel like everything pre-Casino Royale is very episodic. There's no real continuity, no real canon. And with Casino Royale, I feel like I feel like Eon Productions finally decided, okay, we're going to reboot this. We're just going to uh-huh. kind of pretend the rest didn't happen. We'll maybe reference them occasionally. Which they do a lot of in Skyfall. There, yes, there are some references 
in Skyfall, but I feel like Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, and now Skyfall, it's a completely different bond. It's completely continuous. There is a canon they're trying to establish. There is continuity. And I feel like they're going for a completely different style and tone. And I'm not sure that Skyfall tonally is very much different from Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. It has a a few more references to previous films, but I can't really see it, this series of Bond films, going quite as campy and over the top as those films did. It might also be the fashion. I mean, just like those kind of movies aren't done today unless it's like a B-movie joke thing. Right. I don't think the James Bond of the 60s and 70s is really going to appeal to mainstream audiences yeah. today. And So they just have to adapt. I don't think that's really much of a conscious decision. I think that's more of like a marketing and actual studio decision that says, hey, we got to make this platable for the 15 to, you know, whatever it is, 13 to 25 year old demographic. And if they think that this is like way too old school and like not cool enough, they're not going to go to it. That may be true, but I think more than anything, they're trying to establish a real sense of depth and continuity between the films. I'm, I'm kind of with Whitney, though, because like he's like he said, like every so often they try something new. I think this is just a new, you know, flavor of the series. Well, I hope it stays in that in this direction. Personally, what, one quick thing you you mentioned Goldfinger, Whitney. I feel like Skyfall very much is the Goldfinger of this new direction for the series this this reboot if you will it's uh-huh. the third film in the older film specter was the organization behind everything and goldfinger was the first film that didn't mention specter at all in this reboot right. there's this organization called quantum that's supposedly heavily involved in, in world affairs and that's not really mentioned here at right. all. Yeah, what was that about um, continuity, Andrew? <laughs> you, you said there's no interfilm continuity, but you know when, when they brought Spectre into the film and Blofeld. I feel like other than like the core cast of characters, which is very stripped down because you don't have. I mean, Q is the first time that he comes in here in the series. Like uh, for the most part, it's a kind of revolving door, and so like I don't see like the continuity that you were kind of referencing, other than just this is a moody moody bond. I agree with you both. In one sense, there is more character continuity in that by having Daniel Craig sort of refer very directly back to, you know, the previous films, we're finally establishing something that we don't don't have in a lot of James Bond movies, and that is a, a character arc that continues throughout the entire series rather than from film to film. So I understand what Mr. Johnson is looking for in, in that regard. Yes, I feel like the James Bond in Skyfall is the same James Bond from Casino Royale, whereas in the older films, I honestly don't feel like there's really any sense of continuity with that character at all. I think that sort of interfilm character continuity is perhaps in itself, and this is where I agree with you, Ms. Ms. Castillo, that it's actually in itself a gimmick. If you'll look around at a lot of the the trends in filmmaking today, especially if you look at something like The Avengers, which was this one very simple story that, you know, didn't necessarily need to feature those characters, but it was set up as part of this continuity featuring all these other characters from other movies. Uh, You look at something like The Lord of the Rings. This is not 
three different movies. It's essentially one gigantic 12-hour film. There tends to be a tendency these days, especially with like a lot of bigger blockbusters, to resemble TV miniseries, to sort of take on this super narrative that everything has to sort of interconnect in this gigantic arc. And a lot of people really, really love that. A lot of people love this sort of gigantic storytelling structure. For something like James Bond, I would say that that's not necessarily appropriate, and that just because you have a gigantic structure like that, just because your character connects to something else, doesn't necessarily make it good writing or a good story. It's just a reward for the people who have been following it. And that's fine. I like that a lot. But I think with James Bond, whose strength had always been that it was sort of episodic, that he was refreshed each time, that he was perhaps having adventures in between the movies that you just didn't get to see sort of added to the texture of the character as this superhuman comic book character it made him less complex to be sure but it, it made him far more fun to watch uh that's that's debatable the thing is bond wasn't always this super over-the-top superhero you know if you go back to dr no and from Russia with Love in particular, Bond was mainly just, he was a detective who ended up uh -huh. uncovering uh, these elaborate plots at times. He was kind of like this new version of Sherlock Holmes. And only right. later did the series turn him into this super spy with all these gadgets and all these women's, and, and only later did he become this this real cartoon. Well, it was it was around maybe the fifth film that it really started to... Right. To, to turn a bit more cartoony and uh and that's fine by me because I, li I like the fifth film i liked uh, all of the roger moore i like roger moore i think he, you know he's a, a charming son of a bitch and and you know when they finally got to pierce brosnan i think that's when the, the series was really sort of at its peak well until he got to die another day because that's a piece of crap right <laughs> I, here's the thing for for me is that i don't really agree with the argument that, oh, James Bond shouldn't be a complex character, shouldn't be a complicated character. I feel like there's definitely room for him to be a character, and personally, I find that much more interesting. Because if you think about how influential the character has been, think about how many movies have come about since the introduction of James Bond where you've got the superhero action guy who beds a lot of women and fights a... Uh, over-the-top villain and saves the world. We've seen it over and over and over again, and I'm personally, I'm, I'm not interested in that anymore. I, would, I prefer to see a character that's a bit more relatable and a bit more human. It, it's not like they, they, they would occasionally try that in the older films, particularly with On Her Majesty's Secret Service, but it's just very... They, it just seems very jumbled to me how they handled that idea of a character uh -huh. with depth and emotion and, and quote-unquote continuity. And so maybe that is the problem, is this, that the character of James Bond doesn't really do depth. Yeah. Well, I think he does. I think as Daniel Craig has shown, he can. And as some of the earlier films showed, there was potential there. I just don't think the older films often lived up to that potential, partly because of their episodic nature. I don't know, you, you say you've seen, like, too many movies where the hero is just sort of this peerless, indestructible creature, and uh, but by that same token, I would argue that I've seen way too many movies where the hero is just sort of a, a broody drinker, whose only de defining characteristics are his angst, 
And that's just as boring as a character whose only defining characteristics are his indestructibility. But I, I don't think that's what you have in Daniel Craig. I, I think the Daniel Craig James Bond is much more than that. In in Skyfall, he's a little bit more than that. Really? Because I thought in Skyfall, he had even less emotional depth than he did in Casino Royale. Casino Royale, I think, is really fascinating. I liked it even more on this recent rewatch than I did the first time I saw it. You've got this character who's this angsty, violent, brooding guy who treats women as disposable objects and is just this, as M puts it, a blunt instrument. And to have that character realize that he wants something more and to have that in the form of Vesper turn around and bite him, Mm -hmm. that was really fascinating to me. And I liked how that thread continued over into Quantum of Solace. You know, Quantum of Solace isn't a great film, but I do think that it's better than a lot of people give it credit for. And it's at least trying to explore some of what makes this character tick. And in Skyfall, they try to follow that up with some interesting stuff related to his relationship with M. And it doesn't all fully land, but I'm just so glad that they're trying (laughs) to really explore this guy. (laughs) You'd rather see a half-assed attempt than no attempt. Right. Okay. (laughs) Okay, think, think about the opening scene of Skyfall in which... Bond enters this room to see all of these other agents dead, and his first instinct is to help the guy that's bleeding out. That is something that the James Bond of the 60s and 70s and 80s, and even to some extent the Bond of Casino Royale, would never do. He didn't care about other people. He was very much just on target, kill the bad guy. But by the time we've reached Skyfall, I really feel like this character is changing and he's evolving and he even seems to resent it when M tells him to just ignore this agent that's bleeding out. And that's an interesting idea to me. I mean, I don't even know if it's so much as that or as if it's like a director's choice or something like that, or the script writer is trying to, this is just a common sense thing. I don't really buy it. I just feel like the the bond of Casino Royale wouldn't, wouldn't care. He'd be like, oh no, you killed all my guys. I'm going to go after you right away. No, she to- he totally expresses remorse over, the f- over losing um, Vesper, right? Well, well, sure, sure. But in terms of how he relates to others, I mean, she was the first person to really get him to open up. And I feel like if the opening of Casino Royale had involved Bond entering a room with a bunch of other agents... Also, he's out in within a minute, okay? He's not exactly waiting there for the ambulance. He's not holding the guy's hand. Only when M orders him to. So I do think that what we're seeing with this reboot is a Bond who is a bit more emotionally complex and who does seem to gradually be changing from film to film. And I really like that. Well, I, I like the the way he changed in Skyfall. And the reason why I really like the film as much as I do is because he's changing into what I know, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> he, he's, he's turning from that broody thing they tried to present with us in the reboot into, well, James Bond. And uh, the crucial difference, I think, here, and I think what we're really all talking about, is when we see James Bond, we assume that he's not very complex because everything is easy for him. He's, he's very flip. He's, uh, you know, he, he kills somebody without even thinking about it. He displays no remorse, and he kind of smirks his way through every situation. Uh, if we were put in that situation, it would be difficult for us. We couldn't just murder somebody and tell a joke. 
I, well, I assume most of us couldn't. I hope your listeners aren't aren't the murdering type. <laughs> with one-liners. Right. But, uh, you know, now we finally have, with Daniel Craig, sort of a James Bond who who does sweat and does bleed and is, is has a little bit more gravity to him. But here's the crucial difference, and this is what I was going to bring up. He's not having any fun. He's not enjoying himself. Good. I got a, a lot of a lot of sense from James Bond from the older movies, from you know the 1960s all the way through you know the Pierce Brosnan era, that he was enjoying himself, and that's why he was such a good spy. That's why he was good at his job. He really loved it, and we would love it too if we could be that guy. We would love driving around in this. We would love being able to you know investigate these evil evil masterminds who want to destroy the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, this new James Bond is finally learning in Skyfall to have fun again. And that's why I think that it's, you know, such a crucial movie. And I do agree that the character is evolving, and I like what he's evolving into. He's evolving into James Bond. And that's a good thing. I want to get back to what you're you're saying about Bond having fun, but real quick, uh-huh. can you can you just give us a few examples of what you mean when you say that you feel like he's having more fun in Skyfall? It it just he uh, he seems to smile a lot more. There's a few a lot more moments of levity. Like there's a scene in a in a, a Shanghai casino where he's given four million euro and he just sort of smiles at that. He doesn't like you know think this is part of the business. Or, you know, that this is something I'm going to have to do. He just sort of holds the money and thought, wow, this is a lot of money. He kind of smiles at that, as we would if you're handed a, you know, a suitcase with four million euro in it. There's a fight scene in that same casino where he fights a guy in a lizard pit. A, that's you know ridiculous and fun in the traditional right. James Bond mold. Like a guy jumps down into the, the Komodo dragon pit with him and, you know, pulls out a gun. And, you know, James Bond sees the lizard and kind of points at the lizard, you know, hey, you know, dude, there's a lizard behind you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there, there's a, a cute moments like that. You know, when he talks to Q, he doesn't sort of like snuff at these devices. He says, oh, okay, these are what I'm going to need for the job. He seems to be a lot more comfortable with his position as a spy. He seems to be enjoying himself a lot more. And as a result, the tone is a lot lighter and it feels, you know, and the light tone should be, I think, what a lot of James Bond films should strive for. I, I agree with you that I think he's more comfortable at his job in Skyfall. I'm not sure I'd go as far as to say he's having fun. <laughs> and I'm not honestly, I'm not sure he should be having fun. One of the, the 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 things I like about Casino Royale and one of the running threads of that film is it's this idea of how can you be James Bond? How can you be a member of the British Secret Service and go around killing all these people and retain your soul how can you be this blunt instrument and still be a person or will you ultimately end up lost like javier bardem's character ultimately did the ultimate answer to that question is levity (laughs) i guess but the thing is i'm i i personally maybe it's just due to my personal philosophy related to violence in film but i'm not sure if i want a sadistic guy who takes pleasure in murder as my hero I would much rather have the Daniel Craig Bond who seems to acknowledge this isn't something I should take lightly. The lives of others matter and they hang in the balance and I can't just go around killing whoever I would like to. And and that's what, again, we we saw that in Quantum of Solace as well, where at certain points in that film, Bond is just going around killing everyone he runs into because he's so angry <laughs> over what happened with Vesper. And he, he ultimately comes to realize, mate, I, 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 can't, 
I can't do this. And I like that layer of complexity there and the fact that he doesn't quite take as much pleasure out of it. I, I agree with your assessment on film violence. In you know most action films, human life is very cheap. People are murdered by the hundreds. You you watch something like you know like of of the badass era of the 1980s. You watch something like Commando. You know Arnold Schwarzenegger's doc, daughter is kidnapped, so he murders 300 people. Right. Rambo. <laughs> yeah, Rambo. For goodness sake, Predator. You know those sorts of movies that just sort of are are glorify violence to this almost disgusting yet very entertaining degree. I understand that there should be perhaps a, a sort of a breed of action film that does lend sort of weight and drama and gravity to violence, to punching a person, to murdering a person. You know, when is murder necessary in terms of covert spy operations? That's fine. My complaint is that James Bond shouldn't be the guy to do that necessarily. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we agree on this. Uh, James Bond already has this 50-year legacy behind him of being that flip guy. He is sort of untouchable culturally. He is already so well established that, you know, when you start mucking around with fundamental things like his backstory, it can feel a little bit cheap. It felt a little bit cheap to me. Ironically, by making him less cheap, you're cheapening him. I, d I disagree because this, this seems like a good time to talk about the idea of Bond canon and Bond continuity. You're implying that there are these certain elements of James Bond that cannot be messed with. And I don't think that that is the case because I feel like every single element of James Bond has been messed with throughout the years. I don't really think there there is a formula or a certain tone that a James Bond film has to strike. I think pre-Casino Royale, there isn't any real continuity or canon, and they're kind of trying different things, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And other times they'll go through trends where the Bond films are a certain way, and then as you mentioned, they'll kind of switch it up a bit and try for something else. I don't think that Bond is a property that has to stick to a certain style. I mean, so when the next Bond actor comes in, do you think he's going to be referencing Casino Royale, Quantum Assault? Like, re like it's going to I'm continue. I'm not sure. Yeah, like, I really, it might be a reboot of the reboot for all we know. I think it'll be interesting to see how how they handle that. I think that if you put a movie, a character in a movie, and you name him James Bond, audiences fans, writers, everyone will be upset if you don't have him do certain things. Like, if he doesn't wear a suit during the film, for instance, something that shallow. We need these very base, very very simple elements in order for it just to be James Bond. Mm -hmm. He has to drive nice cars, he has to go to exotic countries, he has to sleep with at least two women, uh, he ha and he has to murder at least five people. Otherwise, we're not looking at James Bond. We're looking at somebody who's calling himself James Bond. It's, it's interesting you mention that because I believe that there are a few of the older films where he actually kills less than five people. And I believe in the new films, in, the, in Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, I believe he only sleeps with one person. I could be misremembering, but I think it's only one woman. And it might only be one woman in Skyfall, too. In Casino Royale, he sleeps with two. In Quantum of Solace, he also sleeps with two. I kept track of this sort of thing. <laughs> okay. Who, 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 who were they in Casino Royale? Casino Royale, uh, he slept with Vesper, and he slept with, um, oh gosh, I forgot, that exotic Italian woman in the, in the hotel. I mean, they're practically nameless, but that's my own thing. Yeah, they're, like, they're, they're making out doing it on the floor. They're making out, but 
it's not revealed that they actually have sex. Andrew, that counts as sex in the James Bond world, and you know I it. I don't think it does. Oh, my Lord. I don't think it does. Come on. <laughs> There's kids in the audience, Andrew. You can't always do full frontal, <laughs> all right? <laughs> I mean, in, in a lot of the other films, it's very clear that he actually has sex with three women. But in these new films, it's, it, to me, at least when I watch them, it's not quite as clear as to whether <laughs> they're going all the way or just fooling around a little bit. The joke with James Bond all throughout like the Roger Moore era was that he could sleep with anybody he wanted, and whoever he slept with would turn from evil to good. And uh, <laughs> right. they had to change that with the Pierce Brosnan movie, or with the Timothy Dalton movies in particular, because this was the 80s, uh, AIDS had arisen, right. uh, venereal disease was on everybody's mind, there was you know a, a new wave of feminism, so they kind of had to tone it back down a little bit. So if you look at the Brosnan era, that's kind of the perfect era to look at. A, because I love Pierce Brosnan, I think he's the best James Bond, and B, because it really does sort of strike that balance between his old, what we know of him, the legend, essentially, of his womanizing, but something a bit more practical. <laughs> I, I guess I can I can see that, but my main point was that I, I I I still I disagree with you that there are certain elements that you really have to stick to with James Bond. Sure, I agree. Yeah, he has to have a, a suit and sleep with a woman or two. But other than that, in terms of the character himself and the overall tone, there's so many varying examples of that throughout the past fifty years. I don't think you really have to stick to anything. And I don't think the idea of adding emotional continuity and complexity to the character, I, I don't think that's out of place necessarily for Bond. But um, I, I want to talk about a few more elements of Quantum of Solace. Since we've, we've been talking about James Bond in general, excuse me, not Quantum of Solace, about Skyfall. We've been talking about uh, James Bond in general. But in terms of Skyfall specifically, let's talk about the main thing that happens in this film, which is the death of M. Okay. Oh, see, I was thinking main theme of this is going to be origin story, because I'm waiting on that. <laughs> we can talk yeah. about that. That's sort of linked, in a way, because in Skyfall... It's really sort of the cru I mean, it's the title of the movie, for goodness sake. That's the name of his childhood estate, is Skyfall. Wayne Mansion? It, pretty much, it's Wayne Manor. We've known that it was revealed in Casino Royale that James Bond is an orphan, but here in Skyfall, they're really pushing this idea that M is a mother figure for Bond. Right. And they're really trying to develop that. And I'm not sure they fully succeed, but I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on how they handle that. Because it seems to me, if you look at Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, and now Skyfall, there's a very complex relationship there between Bond and M. I mean, it seems like sometimes they're on the same page. Most of the time, Bond is disobeying M, and it seems like they have a very antagonistic relationship, and I'm not quite sure that there's a there's a solid through line or arc for that relationship. It's like a teenage James Bond, and he's like fighting against mom and doesn't want to do what mom says and can't believe mom said <laughs> right. that. Oh, just leave me alone. Like, I really, no, I, I kind of bought it as this is immaturity or whatever on his part of the character, I guess. Uh, what, I, what I see through these last three movies and his relationship with M is, you know, M, M is like essentially a really good boss who, see, who sees his potential. That's all she sees in him is his, his potential and wants to sort of groom him and raise him into, you know, being an actual efficient spy. 
I think it was also a good thing that Raul brought up. Like, she passed you without passing any of the tests. Not exactly sure if that's a good call on a boss, but sure, because it's right. James Bond. We like, well, duh, because it's James Bond. But in the, right now, it's on chartered territory, and here she is. is just like, yeah, you're all set to go. But but see, again, that I feel like that's because they're really pushing this idea that the relationship M has with Bond is different from the relationship she has with her other double O agents. He's special. She takes special liking to him. And at one point, I think Ra- Raul even says to Bond, you know, we're brothers. She used to have this special relationship with me, and now she has it with you. Yeah, I'm kind of creeped out by the fact that it's also two male agents, and she's just kind of, you know fielding them in sort of deal well at least the way that raul turned like phrased it and set it up i was just like oh wait that's kind of creepy like she has a special thing for them or something i don't know might have just been raul was officially creepy to you know that kind of (laughs) level but that's all good i think the film was trying to establish the idea of m as a maternal figure for bond so that way, when they're at his his parents' old estate and she dies, there is some sort of thematic resonance there. And he becomes a man when a man takes over the MI6 department. It's all good. <laughs> here's here's another mother for Bond that has died. Now this this Skyfall, this estate is not only going to be associated with his parents, but also M as well. I think that's what they were going for. I'm not quite sure it fully worked, but I. I admire the effort. Does that make sense? So it's like a check, not a check plus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think the movie's trying to do so many things, it ultimately can't really fully connect on all of them. That, that's actually a very salient and interesting point that, uh, you know, this whole parenthood thing, because James Bond in, you know, this this new iteration of James Bond, the Daniel Craig version, James Bond is... Um, He's a lot more adolescent. He's a lot less mature than he's been in the previous movies. Mm-hmm. He's not an erudite adult. He's more like a broody teenager. He's got a lot of issues. And so in order to get over that, he actually needs to be parented by uh, by Judy Dench, uh, by Albert Finney, who very, <laughs> very bafflingly shows up in this movie right near the end as the sort of vague father figure. Uh, he, he kind of understands more maturely his place in this organization he's not this sort you know he does he's not only the most important thing in it anymore he is to us but he's not to himself he's part of a bigger machine and that's a big uh, a big important part of his maturity so yeah that that's actually a, that's, that's an interesting point well it's interesting you, you you brought up that idea of this larger machine because one of the main themes running through casino royale and clown of solace is that idea of the big picture you know bond you have to you have to learn to see the big picture and wow. That idea that maybe the big picture isn't a very good thing, you know, that idea that M will have to give the order to shoot James Bond in the opening scene of the film Uh through the big picture or the idea that certain people will have to be sacrificed and perhaps it's better to remain emotionally distant for the sake of the big picture. I like how this new iteration of films is kind of calling that into question and, and, and kind of critiquing British and, and Western intelligence and foreign policy in, in general in that respect. There's also a speech M gives halfway through the movie where she says that things are now more opaque than ever and that the system needs to remain in place. Right. And then by the film's end, after M dies and James Bond matures a little bit, you know, he's finally part of the system again. So it, it's, it, it, in that regard, it's having it both ways. 
Right. I'm not quite sure this whole relationship with M was really where it needed to be by the end of the film. I feel like if your opening scene is M giving the order to shoot James Bond, that needs to be dealt with. (laughs) And that should cause some conflict. And I didn't feel like there was a lot of that there. They really did much. Yeah, he gave her a dirty look. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he was kind of like, oh, that really sucks what you did, but I'm back now. And what I liked, though, is, and I I said this before, he greeted that with good humor. Like, when he finally met the woman who shot him, you know, she was out in the field again, and he kept on joking with her, try not to shoot me this time, yuck, yuck. Right, so, okay, so maybe that's a sign that he is maturing. Yeah, that he's learning, the the good humor is actually the the maturity. Mm. He's learning to live with this. Maybe the big picture, he, he is learning to view that as part of the big picture. Yeah. Okay, I want to talk about the last act of this film. Okay. Finally! <laughs> I, I had a lot of problems with it overall. Like all of it? Not all of it, but just it was. it's just the little things that it, it just don't add up. Let me just throw out some questions for you guys and, and, and see if you can answer them. My first question is, what happened to that list of agents? Did Raul Silva just have it, and now that he's dead, nothing's going to happen, or what happened? That'd be the worst computer programmer if he didn't know how to time things up, schedule posts, in order for it to go up. Did he not use Tweet Tweet Express or whatever one of those apps? (laughs) Yeah, Tweet Sweet to time it all up. Tweet Dick. (laughs) Uh, My guess is that... And they didn't make this explicit, so I'm just going to defend the film for no reason at all. But uh, <laughs> my guess is that when they captured Silva, they, they also seized his computers and they got the list back at that point. Because they okay. don't mention it after that. Always got to back up your hard drive, man. Just always got to yeah. back it up. Also, real quick on that, Q plugging in his co- his infected computer to their system. I was like, oh, that's going to get hacked. Like immediately when I saw that, like, you don't even you don't touch like the USBs off of a like a computer that just been like through a virus like reboot sort of deal. Like because you kind of consider that like cooties in order you know not for it to transfer over and over because Trojans can travel or whatever on files and you won't see them in a scan or whatnot like really good ones. So I kind of saw that as a herp derp moment for a really smart computer guy, but whatever. Yeah. They had to visualize the computer virus, so they had to put it up on the big screen, and that's why he plugged it in. He wanted to see it on the big screen. Ah, okay, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, The 11-inch laptop would have been so anticlimactic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I, I hate it when they just film people using laptops in movies. It's so boring. They type so slow, too. (laughs) Second question. (laughs) Why didn't Raul Silva just blow up M? Why did he make this big deal about having to shoot her in person? He timed it exactly so that he could show up at her hearing and shoot her in the face. That was his apparent plan. Why is that necessary? Why couldn't he just... I guess he wanted a front row seat. I guess. He wanted to be by his hand. Yeah, he he had to do it personally. He's a personal, passionate guy. He's got to murder himself. He's a people person. Anti-people person. Anti-people person. The final scene is him giving the gun to M and telling her to shoot them both. I mean, that was another thing. It's like, clearly, this guy has a complicated relationship with M as well, but I wasn't quite sure why and and what the nature of that relationship was Yes, exactly. he has mommy issues. I can't explain why the character wanted to do that. I can only explain why the filmmakers would want to do that, because it's more dramatic. Oh, of course. Yes, more yeah. dramatic. And then that's exactly when Bond shows up. Yes. Okay, next question. Why did Silva send in a first wave of guys? 
to attack Skyfall? Did he know that Bond was going to booby trap it? Or was he just, was he just like, hey, here's, re- here's 10 to 15 guys that I'm just going to go send to their deaths and then come in with the helicopter later? It's not like he cares. <laughs> well, okay, if he, if he wants to kill him personally, did, were, were, was the first wave, was there orders to take her alive? Were they supposed to kill everyone on site? (laughs) (laughs) It's the little things like that that just bother me. (laughs) They clearly didn't get that far, Andrew. (laughs) Consider the the function like that kind of guy plays in action movies, though. You know, there's always that team of these guys in black masks and all black outfits who, like, creep along the ground and, like, give each other hand signals and don't have any lines of dialogue. (laughs) And then they're stabbed in the throat. Yeah, they're they're cannon fodder. We call them cannon fodder. Like, they're just there to just get mowed over. It's like in in a slasher movie when you introduce a character and they're killed immediately. You know, you're not supposed to care about that character. You just want to see them die. Yeah, and you want, you know, Bond to be really smart and just knock them all out one by one. It's like a one-man killing machine, and that's what he is. Just to show that off. It it just seemed to me like, okay, clearly this guy has a complicated relationship with M. For some reason, he really wants to kill her himself. What is the deal with sending in this other team? I I feel like that's an important piece of exposition I'm missing. Keep his brother busy while he has a one-on-one talk with mom. I guess. That's right. He he sent them in to keep James Bond busy. Apparently. (laughs) Okay, and my my main question, the thing that really irritated me the most about this third act is, I'm sorry, there's no way Bond is alive at the end of this <laughs> Okay. There's that superhuman thing coming up. Again. I'm aware that to some extent Bond is a superhero and can do things that other people can't. But he falls through the ice, kills the guy, and then somehow still has enough air left to swim further down, get the flare gun, <laughs> shoot yeah. that up, and then somehow he doesn't have hypothermia. <laughs> I was just thinking to myself, no, 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 you're dead. <laughs> you, even if he manages to crawl out of that ice, all he can do is lay on the side and slowly freeze to death at that point. That's so anticlimactic. <laughs> and also, where did he get that knife? What knife was that that he stabbed Silva with? James Bond keeps a knife uh, in his ear. Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> Wait, no, wasn't that one of the things they gave him? And he was like, oh, this is like old school or something? Is that one of the tools or something? One of two toys that Q gave him? One was the radio transmitter. The other was just the Walter PPK. I don't know. Who doesn't carry a knife around? J- if you're a spy, you got a knife. It's, yeah. it's par for the course. It's right next to your license to kill. The, the thing that bothered me about that scene is that, you know, they, they cross this lake, and it can't be more than like 20 feet across, <laughs> and yet somehow it's like 300 feet deep. <laughs> Like that, that, that is a that is a really strange geological oddity, you know. It's you know on a Scottish yeah. moor, no less. Yeah, like I, I buy that it's, it's frozen, but you know if they break through, you know they'd be standing on the bottom with their heads above the. <laughs> That's so true. And that would be a funny fight scene. It's just not a very good third act. There's all that drama about saving M, and oh no, she's been shot, and then Bond shows up at the end to save her, and then she still dies. <laughs> It's like, well, what was the point of that? <laughs> you shouldn't even have tried. <laughs> the point was was so we could have a really awesome scene where Javier Bardem, you know, kind of limp-wristedly flings a grenade through a window. That was really hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> can I can I say my my problem with the third act finally? Because this is where the Nolan Batman like thing for me just like went way too far. So first off, we go 
and like the Aston Martin. So like, if you will, his Batmobile. Go to Wayne Manor. <laughs> there is an Alfred figure there. He is clearly uncomfortable with True. his past, which also include two dead parents. And he's also not comfortable with his wealth, the estate, that sort of thing. It's like a hidden secret. And like, M is discovering all of this. Like, oh my gosh. And like, there's just the way that it was shot or whatever. It just kind of like reminded me of like a very, I mean, this also could go back to Deacon's cinematography, how he loves his shadows. It just reminded me a lot of a very dark Nolan bit. Yeah. Parallels are staggering. You're right. I, did, I didn't think about that. But yeah, they're, they're pretty much exactly the same character now. Yeah. Uh, oh especially at that end. I was just like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> you even go over the parents' graves on the way to the church. like. <laughs> <laughs> and Javier Bardem is your Joker. Why so serious, Mr. Bond? <laughs> Doesn't even say why so serious at one point. I, I can swear he does. Oh, shoot. Man, if that happened, I would have tip my popcorn over <laughs> the difference is in batman the death of bruce wayne's parents is like a major aspect of that character and a major thematic focus of those films whereas here it seems you're right they bring up all the stuff about his parents and this estate and this alfred-like figure and i'm not really sure why they're there is it really important that the final battle take place at skyfall estate could have taken place anywhere else. M could have keeled over at any point. <laughs> she even could have had a heart attack, you know? <laughs> we didn't even need Silva. She could have just she died. She could have just died. It could have been right back there <laughs> in the, you know, the, the new MI6 headquarters, you know, in the streets of London. Like, there are plenty of other choices there than random manor that just happens to belong to Bond's parents. And they are there in the grave right. in the backyard, you know, like. It was just, it was too much for me. I gotta be honest with you guys. I thought the whole reason that they were bringing in all this stuff about Bond's parents and the fact that he is similar to Javier Bardem, I thought that they were going to reveal that Raul Silva was actually his brother yeah, <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah. They were both orphans. They were both taken up by M and didn't know it. They just happened to be brothers, and one turned out bad and one turned out good. And personally, while that seems a tiny bit cliche, I think that would have been interesting. I was going to say, wait, that's like the one of the plot premises of Austin Powers' old member. <laughs> yeah, while, while it would have been a little bit cliche, I think that would have been interesting, and it, I would have at least been able to see why they threw in all this stuff about Bond's parents and his origin. As it stands, I'm not quite sure why, they, why that's there. I'm not sure why it's important. I have to be honest, I was... Deathly afraid, just for a moment, just for a moment, I was deathly afraid that it was going to turn out that M was James' mom. I, I really <laughs> thought there was going to be, like, the, this dying moment. Let's get Mari out here. We'll settle this right now. <laughs> and it turns out that I'm your mother, and I gave you up for adoption because you were such a violent baby or something. I don't know. And it really hurt me when I had to give the order to shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> it really hurt my feelings. Yeah. Hold on. Now, because I want to check what the name, because it's something Delacroix, um, his mom's name. Honestly, I was like, Marguerite. De Monique or something. I think it was Marguerite. Yeah. Yeah, it starts with an M. Wait, guys, it starts <gasps> with an M. <laughs> oh my god, we've blown the lid off of this thing. That's going to be the big twist yes. in the next one. We so did it. We just figured out Bond 24. Yeah. The yet untitled sequel. Okay, random nitpick. In Casino Royale, they, there's this little joke about Bond discovering M's real name, and they never reveal what 
her real name is. And I was kind of upset they didn't actually reveal it in this film. We, 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 now, we know that the new M, played by Ray Fiennes, is named Mallory. But I still want to know what Judy Dench's and what her real name was. Was it in fact Emma, like Albert Finney suggested? You know what? I, I have a theory myself, um, and I, I said this on my own podcast. I said it on in my series project uh, that James Bond is actually not his real name either. Well, right. That has been a theory among some Bond enthusiasts that maybe James Bond is actually a code name, right? Which is weird because his dad's name is. Last name is also Bond. Well, right. In, in Skyfall, they definitely established that his name is James Bond. His parents' last names were Bond. And also in the earlier films, when he got married at one point, his wife was named Tracy Bond. That's right. So I think that idea that James Bond is a code name is actually a code name. That's a very interesting idea. I but I I don't think there's any evidence in the actual quote unquote <laughs> canonical series to back that up. Unless. You consider that when somebody takes on the name of James Bond, the code name, they must also take on his entire backstory. <laughs> now, <laughs> well, that's a drag. <laughs> yeah, that could also be because he has to uh, take on all the all the other backstory. Now, if we're gonna get, do this continuity thing for real, guys, <laughs> look, guys, here's how here's how it works. Whenever one James Bond retires, they find or is about to retire, they find some orphan kid who can't remember his parents and say these were your parents here is your backstory (laughs) your name is james bond and it's just it's brainwashing that's all it is (laughs) okay a a few other minor things i want to bring up i like how again because this is the third film in this quote-unquote reboot i like how they're referencing goldfinger in the form of the car from goldfinger they they reference the eject button i i liked that let me ask you guys, how do you feel about the reveal at the end that Eve's last name is Moneypenny, and now we've got this new M who's a man, played by Ray Fiennes? It definitely seems like, as you mentioned, Whitney, in some ways they are trying to lead into this, to that, that old style of Bond film. Yeah, nothing changes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I personally I felt like the money penny reveal was a little bit forced. I you brought up Nolan, I got flashbacks to Dark Knight Rises when they reveal that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is Robin. Yeah. And it felt a little bit forced to me. I'm interested in seeing where they take that. I was already weirded out by Money Penny when her first name was Eve. Why? So that was already like, oh, wait, I see where this is going. <laughs> this is an origin story. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, um, correct me if I'm wrong. He didn't have sex with Moneypenny in Skyfall, correct? He did not. She just shaved him. That is one thing that does stay constant throughout all the Bond films is that he never has sex with Moneypenny. What am I going to do with you, Moneypenny? That's the problem, James. You never do anything with me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting to see if Ray Fiennes brings anything new to the role of M, or if he's basically just going to become Bernard Lee from the older films. Oh, well, which would you prefer? Would you want him to, to be like an interesting M in the mold of Judy Dench, or would you prefer him to be sort of this more stodgy paper pusher, which is indeed how they set him up? I would prefer him to be a little bit more interesting, again, just because one of the interesting thematic lines running through these these recent 
three Bond films has been Bond's relationship to M and to MI6 in general. And that conflict there between what Bond wants and his character versus the quote-unquote big picture and the actions of the government. Um, and I like that conflict, and I hope that they, they stick with that. There is an earlier Bond film, one or two of them, in which Bond does kind of disobey him and go off on his to do his own thing. Right. Um, and they've they've been working with that idea a lot in these more recent films, and I, I I like that, and I hope they stick with it. What about you? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I always felt there was this one of I think it was uh, the world is not enough where the MI6 like finally got involved in the action and Judy Dench moved away from MI6 and they had to like relocate into a new location. And when I saw that one, I felt like a line had been crossed, you know, that MI6 was always this sort of Olympian entity in James Bond's life, that it was busy doing, you know, all of the, the important paperwork. And he was the one out in the field doing, you know, all of the ass kicking. I'm not sure how I feel about MI6 being a, a, more active part in his spy work. It seemed like that was just, you know, the people who gave him orders and he understood his place. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think either could be interesting in this case. Well, I mean, even in the older films, MI6 will move location. There's, there's even one film when it's like MI6 is headquartered on a submarine. And then there's another one where they're sort of headquartered in the, in the middle of the desert. And uh, so in that sense, it does seem like, the, the organization can be a little bit more active and can move around as needed. And in Skyfall, they do reference that by having MI6 be forced to move to a new location. I, I agree with you. It'll be interesting to see exactly how involved they get in the future. I don't know. Any, any other thoughts on that, Monica? Not particularly. Again, I just kind of felt like, I mean, it was just like, oh, cool. It's a dude running the show again <laughs> forever and ever <laughs> to, to be fair to be fair judy dench had been m since 1995 so you know she, she's she's had a good long run i mean but it was cool because it was a twist on the character that was something new like I, I don't know he just he's also the uh his character is also good as being part of the military and that's when you know when James sees him shoot and knows how you know he kind of knows what he's doing he's that's when he gets his respect well, it'll be interesting to see how they continue to develop these characters in this new strain of films and whether or not there's any substantial change beyond superficial ones because right now it sort of seems like the changes are very just on the surface. Like, oh, Money Penny is black. Oh, Q is younger. Oh, yeah. M was a woman and now she's a man again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well said, sir. Well said. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if there's any real character shifts that come with that or whether or not the essence of the characters will stay the same. Any final thoughts on Skyfall before we wrap up this episode? I really hope they don't bring back the James is getting old thing because that got tiring after like the third joke how can daniel craig do two more films though at this point if he's, he's... yeah no he's over the hill man like did you not hear the kid he's he should be out to pasture <laughs> <laughs> how, how old is daniel craig daniel, 
General Craig is like, I think he's like only a little older than me. That's, you know, and not that I could make a great spy or anything, but that's still kind of insulting. I think Daniel Craig is in his mid-40s, which is in keeping with a lot of the Bonds. Oh, yeah, no, I know, but that was the thing. Like, it's never, I don't think Bond's age was really called into question before. Like, can, are you up to snuff sort of deal? Because, you know, your knees might give out. Like, I don't, I don't know. There was a film uh, that one of the non-quote-unquote canonical films, Never Say Never Again, when they brought Connery back Ugh. for that film. and That, <laughs> that was a great a- idea. His aging does play a role in that, and they're constantly referencing how old he is. I guess that goes to the, this is not so fun anymore. He's, <laughs> he's, he's old. Yeah. That's not fun. <laughs> now he's just being a creeper hitting on 20-year-old women. Oh, nobody wants to be old. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to watch that. <laughs> there are definitely some Roger Moore films where it's it is very creepy in terms of how old he looks versus the age of the women <laughs> he's around. <laughs> oh, that's always good. I think that it was when the when they did a view to a kill and he realized that the Bond girl's mother was younger than he was that he had a kind of a problem with that. Yeah. Okay. Last thing I want to say about Skyfall. I won't lie. I was kind of hoping Bond and Silva would make out. Yeah, me too. Oh my gosh. I was I really 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 wanted that scene. That might send Bond fans into an uproar, but the idea of James Bond having a homosexual encounter fascinates me. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, <laughs> hey, hey, you, you look at Daniel Craig as James Bond. He's brutal. He's animal. You know he's gone there. He's slept with a couple dudes. You can see it in his eyes. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and you know, so there's that scene where he like, like Silva's kind of rubbing on his thighs, and he says, you know, well, there's a first time for everything. And Bond, you know, no hesitation, looks right back. What makes you think it would be my first time? And you know what? I right. bought it. I bought it. I bought it from him. You know, he's, he's been there. He's been there. So I, I, I kept hoping, and, and I wrote this in my James Bond article, too, that at some point, you know, he has to seduce evil women to get what he wants. What, you know, would he ever turn that on a man? Would he seduce another man in order to get what he wants? Right. More interestingly, would he seduce a straight man to get what he wants? Would he just sort of charge in with his overpowering sexuality and sleep with a straight man in order to get what he wants? That would be really interesting to me. But I admit that what I want to see is not what the general public wants to see. Well, you know, Bond was very concerned with the well-being of that one other agent, Ronson, at the beginning of the film. Maybe maybe they had a special connection. Oh, maybe so. You never know. <laughs> Start the rumors, son. Um, no, I actually kind of, I mean, so my thing on it, part of my review, because I reviewed it for a feminist film web, or a feminist website, so my thing was like, uh, Silva's kind of like the depraved homosexual trope. And or is he homosexual or is he bisexual? Because doesn't he kiss that one Italian woman at some point right before he kills on her? On the cheek. Yeah, that's sort of a problem with a lot of uh, a depiction of bisexual men in movies in general. I mean, can you think of a bisexual male in any movie who's not also like some hedonistic villain? Just a right. thought. Yeah, and I mean, so I I can imagine that. I, I mean, I don't not so well versed in the older Bonds, but like, worse any other of the villains, I kind of like fiendishly in a sort of way you know i mean because the celluloid closet had that as well talked about how villains were sometimes portrayed as girly guys and stuff like that because that they were evil because they were queer so was that at any at all in any of the earlier series a, a, a little a little bit there's a few there in 
definitely in uh, oh, which one was it? I think it was I think it was the man with the golden gun had a pair of like homosexual assassins, or maybe it was living right. and die. I'm, I'm totally losing track now. But yeah, there was a, a pair of like assassins who were like lovers who held hands, and it was nice because not a lot was made of their sexuality. But again, you know, they were they were the bad guys. Right. But yeah, it, it's it's just an old sexual tropes that are just sort of still hanging around. That was the thing. Like, this was such... That felt like such a throwback. It didn't feel like this is a movie made yesterday, I guess. At least in his character. In his characterization. Now, granted, Javier acted the hell out of that role. So it's great, and it's amazing. And I loved it. I had more fun with him than I had at any other point on the movie with James Bond. But... It still stands that it is a trope, or at least like it can be seen as such. And then the defense, I, I saw it on a website and it's linked in my article as well from I think the San Jose Mercury Times News or something that he gives a dismissive response like, no, Bond just doesn't like to answer questions. That's why he gives such a flip answer because people were actually questioning him about this. So is Bond gay? And, you know, I like to see the nation's homophobia. Like, I like a hole in my head. I really think it'd be incredible if they did more to establish that Bond has had some homosexual encounters. I think it would be more more interesting, rather than just show him sleeping with a man, it, it would be kind of fun to see him, like, have a very brief scene with a fellow agent, where they, like, pass each other in the halls, and, uh, like, they, they stop, and they're just sort of standing next to each other, and the other agent, like, leans in close and says, so when are we going to meet up again? And kind of, like, strokes his cheek a little bit. <laughs> and James Bond says something like, I thought I made myself clear in London. You know, something along those lines. That I would love to see. One more arguably perverse thing I would like to touch on. I, I won't lie. In that final scene with M, when he's cradling her in his arms, I was hoping that they would kiss. No, no. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, no, didn't have that. <laughs> and she would just say, Bond, you were always my favorite. Ew. What was that again about creep like, about the woman wanting to feel the agent through because she had a thing for him? Now you're just like reaffirming that that's the vibe that I got. I don't know. It it wasn't pointing in that direction. I didn't feel like it. It, it would have been it would have been a funny moment, sure, but no, 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 no. Oh no, that would have been like ew. <laughs> the thought just went through my head because I'm that kind of person. The last thing I'll say is that if indeed the Bond films, the, these this new strain of Bond films does start to resemble the older films, Whitney, I really want to see Michael Shannon as Jaws. <laughs> that's perfect. That's, that's so yeah, that's, perfect. That's good. That's good. He has the jawline. He's got it. All right. Any final thoughts on Skyfall before we wrap it up? I've said my piece. I think I'm glad that it, it's pointing toward what I love is James Bond, the more old-fashioned James Bond. All right, well, that will wrap it up for part two of our discussion of Skyfall here on Cinema Fix. Don't forget to tune in next week when we'll be discussing Lincoln. We would love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at www.filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes, so if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. That helps fund uh, new shows, and it helps cover all of our hosting costs and keep the show on the air, so it really means a lot. Don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including our new weekly podcast all about the ABC series Last Resort called Dispatches from St. Marina. Whitney, it's been great having you on where can people find you online? 
thank you for having me on. It's been quite a pleasure. And people can find me uh, on Crave Online, craveonline.com slash film. Go on, on to uh, iTunes and we can you can listen to the B-Movies podcast, which uh, I am the co-host of with William Bibiani. And uh, I, I'm also on Twitter now, and my Twitter will have nothing of substance or salience at all, so you can follow me there. <laughs> and what, what's your Twitter address? Oh, it's <laughs> – uh, you have to find it. <laughs> um, the joke for the longest time was that it's at Jessica Beale, but I finally start, started my own, and I am at Whitney Seibold. That's W-I-T-N-E-Y-S-E-I-B-O-L-D. All right. Monica, where can people find more of your work? People can also find me on the Twitters at mcastymovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. And they can probably find my reviews on the BOFCA website. Um, that's the Boston Online Film Critics Association, B-O-F-C-A dot com. I'm Andrew Johnson. You can find some of my writing at www.filmgeekradio.com, including my series about the James Bond films called Discovering 007. You can also follow me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of Cinema Fix. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week getting high on cinema. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!